Hi, and welcome to Third Waves. I'm Rona, stylist, creative director, and founder of Third. I'm Daniela, and I'm a writer, musician, and producer. And I am Tribe, DJ, radio host, and music editor at Third. Third is an intersectional publication celebrating culture, heritage, and diversity. And on Third Waves, we will do the same. On this episode of Third Waves, we will be discussing the experiences of people from diasporas and how they connect with and embody their roots. We will also touch on the labels of second and third generation immigrants. With us on this episode is Hark. He is Punjabi British or British Punjabi, born and raised in London, who, among other things, takes pictures of Punjabi life both in India as well as in the UK as a way of bridging some lost connections. Um, I'm just going to kick off this uh, host discussion by telling you guys a little bit about my heritage and maybe you guys can tell us about that as well. So I am, I'm half Chinese, half Danish, and I grew up in China. While well, saying that, I, I spent the first 14 years of my life in China and the subsequent 14 years of my life in the UK. I am a Nigerian. Uh, I'll call myself British Nigerian. Um, and I, I've never been to Nigeria. So I spent my whole life, you know, I was born in uh, West London, spent my whole life in North East London. I'm a Londoner. I'm a Nigerian, Igbo Nigerian lady. Um, I've been to Nigeria a few times. It's been great. I've got a lot of family who still live in Nigeria. But my only setback is I can't speak Igbo. So sometimes when I go, I can't speak to like some of my family. That's sad. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I noticed how a lot of us put uh, British before, like me particularly, and you as well, before our, let's say, parents or our heritage. Is there a reason for that? Is there a reason why, you know... Uh, yeah, true. Yeah. Rona, you started saying, I am a Londoner. Is that the strongest part of your identity, would you say? Oh, no, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I don't like to put a hierarchy to any of the things. But you did. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> if, if one comes first, is that a hierarchy? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think, I think, for me, maybe, maybe I put down Londoner first just because, obviously, I was born and raised in London. I also think I studied in Manchester. I studied up north. And up there, I think I became really conscious of the fact that I was actually someone from London mm. because we are quite different, if you know what I mean. Um, and I kind of just, I like celebrating London. I think it's a great place. Some people disagree, but I think it's just got such a wide blend of different cultures. Uh, that's definitely informed me as a person. Um, as well as everything else has, obviously. Mm. How about you, Tribe? You started saying you put British first. Do you know what? I was thinking about this, and I feel like it's because I filled out so many forms over the last 10 years, uh, and I always tick Black British, Black British, Black British, <laughs> and I feel like it's drilled in my head. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I like. I would definitely, like, like Rona, I would say that, it, for me, it's a tie that I am... Um, 
Nigerian British like I, if, if I saw on a page it'll be Nigerian British or British Nigerian either way and they're equal to me but um I think in terms of how I describe myself formally black British black British because of how many times I've ticked it or write, written it down that's interesting how sort of like the legal uh, classification informs the way we talk about ourselves because I guess I I said I'm half Chinese first um and thinking about it now I guess it's because you know I look probably more white than I do Chinese and my passport is Danish so I feel like I really need to let people know as soon as they meet me that I I, I have this very strong other um influence and culture in me mm, mm. Mm. do you speak Danish as well no yeah, yeah. yeah. and and Rona do you uh, you said you don't speak um Igbo but do you understand Igbo um yeah mostly from like my mum's mouth do you know what I mean <laughs> yes, it's so, not really like when like, she's angry <laughs> <laughs> well you know um yeah but like it's not really something I can I can't claim it for myself I can't pretend when I go to Nigeria I'm yeah. stopping people and being like I beg do you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. but I wish I could to yeah. be honest I think that's when I was younger I didn't really I was always curious about my own language mm. like I've always been like curious about my own culture full stop but I didn't really understand how like how much would be like cut off for me because mm. I can't actually communicate to people when I am there yeah. do you know what I mean yeah yeah it is interesting um... I thought it might be quite interesting just as a way of creating a tiny bit of context or sound bed to this discussion to present a few sort of um, statistics and definitions. Um, recently, I'm reading this book called Being Ecological by Timothy Morton, which I'm really enjoying and I would highly recommend. And one thing he does at the beginning of the book is talk about, um, I suppose, fake news and information and information overload. And he uses this uh, phrase, I don't know whether he coined it, but um, he, he talks about fact-like things. So let, let us uh, present a few fact-like <laughs> things and uh, discuss them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, in terms of the ethnic makeup of this country, in terms of ethnic minorities, uh, today the six largest ethnic minority groups in Britain, in descendant population side, are Indian, Pakistani, Black Caribbean, Black African, Bangladeshi and Chinese. Uh, I don't know if it's a surprise to you, any of those uh, orders. For example, I always, for some reason, I always thought there was more black African, <laughs> maybe because <laughs> I'm in contact with a lot of black Africans. Um, yeah, more black Africans than black Caribbean. Um, so I was a bit surprised by that. And I and I didn't know personally that um, Chinese would make up the list because obviously through our um, history in the UK of the relationship with India and Bangladesh and Pakistani, I thought that would make up it more so than Chinese. So I was quite surprised by that. I think I was surprised that Chinese came down at the bottom of the list because I thought like one in five people are Chinese, no? <laughs> <laughs> For the same reasons I thought black Africans. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> makes sense. Um, what other facts or definitions do you have to share with us, Tribe? Uh, let's see... 
Oh, here's one. Black African migration to Britain increased since the immediate post-independence period of the 1960s, with a marked increase in the number of Africans travelling to Britain for higher education and technical training. Hmm. Don't know why I'm a bit... Well, yeah, I guess... When was this? Sorry. So, um, independent period... Independence period would have been like 1960s. So that's when, I guess, the wave of people wanting a new life <laughs> um, but for higher educational reasons which is quite interesting um, that's the reason why that came to, to this be country fair. you yeah. know like definitely growing up like my family looked to education as such yeah. a, like a massive thing it was like you want to do anything study <laughs> yeah yeah you want to do anything it's in those books yeah get a degree yeah and you'll be fine obviously we did that and we realized it's not that simple but yeah, that definitely, obviously, that was the dream that maybe they were sold yeah. coming here anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's an interesting fact. Uh, despite the fact that many third generation migrants do not see themselves as immigrants of any generations, um, many have never visited their country of their pe- grandparents. So typically, apparently, people who are third generation do not visit their grandparents' country of origin. So by the time of third generation, they see themselves as totally British, which I I can see, coming from my perspective, can easily happen. I wonder whether it's actually a perception thing and it's just more because you haven't had that opportunity to go back. You just feel a bit, like, disconnected. Mm. I doubt anyone, say, for example, who is quite obviously black and comes from I'm going to choose a different culture to mine Jamaica or some somewhere um, is going to say yeah I'm just a British person do you know what I mean because there's always remnants of the culture in this culture anyway if you mm. had do you know what I mean mm. there's always things for you to access yeah um, but I do think that's probably like the whole idea of going back because how many second generation people travel back to their own home countries um, independently, without their parents. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't even know. Like I'm, te- I'm sec- second generation technically, whatever that means. Mm. Um, I don't think I've been back without my mum. So, am I going to take my child back without my family? Do you know what I mean? Mm. I can see how that would happen if you you've been raised here, you've been born here, you've been raised here. How do you? I don't know. Yeah. What do you think, Daniela? Obviously, your experiences. Yeah, I think you put that very, very well. Sort of like the the inc- like incremental increase of disconnection, um, and and I think what's what's interesting from like my my perspective, I guess, is like China is a country that's developing so fast. Like the city that I grew up in when I was like five or six years old, we moved quite a lot, but like the city that I grew up in when I was five, let's say, if I go back there now, there will be no way that I can recognize or find the streets. Yeah. Not because the last time I was there was when I was five. What I mean is like the city would have changed so much. And so it's like, if I bring my child, if I have children back there, um, you know, if I, if I were to bring my children back to China, it would be, it would be like a different country and different city than I knew it Mm. so even sort of from like an urban development point of view I think it gets it gets very very um it gets diluted your connection you've never been back have you no I am the only person in my family who's never been back which is crazy like it it just there was one time I was meant to go and then I got a job working in Australia (laughs) (laughs) 
such as life. Took the money. Um, but ever since then, I've been just trying to trying to hint anytime anyone talks about going anywhere. Why don't we go to Nigeria? <laughs> like that's my line. Um, so I'm definitely going to go, and I want to go. It's always been a, a, a almost like a mark of shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. In my what are you most looking forward to of this trip that will happen? I think. For me, I would say uh, history. I am obsessed with history. And um, anyone who knows me, I can name the kings and queens of England from like Richard III up to the present day. Wow. I um, I'm just really obsessed with history. So going back to Nigeria and just being able to see for myself and connect the dots and um, like I know bits of my history but I would love to kind of fully be in it touch the soil see it from my own eyes um rather than second hand get on a yellow bus as well that'd yeah. be really fun <laughs> or a motorbike but kind of like what you were saying um because I know that um Nigeria particularly parts of Europe is kind of changing dramatically from the way that um my parents knew it so like for example, one of my friends um, who is Caribbean has found her love for Nigeria and she goes to Nigeria quite often. But the Nigeria that she goes to is for the parties and the beaches and, the, you know, like the high life. And um, I hope I, as much as I'd like to experience that, I hope I don't go there and just experience experience it as a tourist. I hope to actually, you know, really connect um, and that that is a <laughs> you know something that's it plays. Yeah, a bit. book your ticket. Yeah, yeah, book it for sure. Mm. We mentioned a few words and just thrown them around willy nilly um, without actually explaining what these words mean. I'm sure some of you or most of you know what these words means, but just so that we're all on the same page, let's go over a few of the definitions. So um, diaspora, as I know it, um, and if anyone wants to chime in as well. It is um, any group of people, but dispersed around the world. So, for example, you can have um, Nigerians in Brazil. You can have um, Nigerians in Cuba, as well as you can have Nigerians in in Nigeria. So when you talk about the Nigerian diaspora, you mainly talk about Nigeria, but you also can mention how the cultures are spread out um this is so equally true with india you can it's equally true with when you talk about africa in general um you can even say that about the british um, diaspora right you can say what Mm. like how they've spread out that's a tricky murky Mm. subject right there that's a murky (laughs) one right there (laughs) murky um yeah but then to get back to um other definitions so this is an interesting one um immigrant a person who who comes to live permanently in a foreign country. Um, Many people get it confused with expat. (laughs) I wonder why. Expat is a person who temporarily or permanently resides in a country other than their native country. Please tell me the difference between the two. Can can I just offer you a bullshit definition of the difference between being an expat and being an immigrant that I found online, which I found quite uh, entertaining. So here... An expat or expatriate is simply defined as a person who lives outside their native country. Similarly, an immigrant is a person who comes to live permanently in a foreign country. Immigrants intend to stay in their new country indefinitely, 
whereas expats do or do not is unclear. See, the reason why that's bullshit is because when people move to another country, you don't know if they're going to stay or if they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're looking, like immigrants or expats are looking for opportunities, right? They don't necessarily say, I'm going to stay here for this amount of years or I'm going to die in this country, I'm staying here. You, you don't ask that question with expats as well. Like, how are you, like, you know when people are differentiating between the two. That's not the question they're asking. Yeah, I'd also say one is usually denied at a border. So one gets <laughs> entrance and the other person isn't even allowed to stay. So like, true. the other person so is, yeah. like, it's so true. made it's to a, stay in a... <laughs> if you're Australian, you're an expat. If you're Somalian, you're an immigrant. You're on like, border totally, control. Totally. You're on border control issue. That's your holiday done. Yeah, I read a really interesting article about how, like... Um, no matter how, uh, so, so another sort of bullshit definition was like oh expats are like elites looking for, elites bringing um, sort of very high workforce to another country or whatever whereas immigrants are seeking opportunity oh, and wow. and it's like even sort of college professors who depending on basically which direction they travel still are classified as expat or immigrant, depending on basically where they come from. Exactly, so yeah. Because even in this country, you will get people who have doctor degrees, lawyer degrees, who have been professionals, like really needed professionals in Britain in their own countries, and they cannot work in these countries because they're told to do it again. Mm. So it's complete hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah, because, mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who calls themselves... Uh, a, I don't know. I don't really think people really call themselves, oh, I'm a second-generation immigrant. Ah, but I would say, I kind of love this whole reclaiming of the word immigrant because definitely three years ago when Calais, the news around Calais was coming through, immigrant was seen as quite a dirty word. Mm. You know, you had people like that woman who were calling people oh, yeah. fleas. Do you know what I mean? Stuff yeah. like that. Um Whereas now, if you look at the way we talk about being an immigrant now, I think a lot of people who are technically second and third generation are reclaiming the word. So Nikesh Shukla, for example, to mention another book, Mm. he put together the Good Immigrant Anthology. And that's just stories from people who are, some of them will be first generation immigrants, but a lot of them are second and third generation people from loads of different cultures who live in Britain and are talking about how they've experienced their own identities here. So I think there's something really positive in the fact that we're reclaiming this word immigrant now and we're not allowing it to be like a dirty word. Mm. We're not allowing there to be this this binary between like good expats who bring in money and immigrants who steal all benefits. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose another way of sort of reclaiming the word is that... um, by calling yourself second or third generation is sort of saying, you know what, I've got some other things to offer. I have other perspectives and other stories and sort of colourful things that I've seen because I have, I, I come from a, can I say, less homogenous um, <laughs> upbringing. Yeah, mm. fully. Mm. Are there any times when, because uh, we mentioned briefly there's times when we feel, let's say, on Nigerian or on mm. Chinese when people judge us and stuff like that. Um are there moments when we feel on British? So maybe if we go into certain spaces and we don't feel British enough. Hmm. Go on, Daniel. I mean, this is not... So for me, it's like almost like the opposite problem. Oh, OK, yes. In that I don't identify myself as British at all because obviously I'm half Chinese, half Danish. 
But if you think about it, I spent the same amount of time living in the UK as I have in China. And I have, like, to non-native speakers, what's like a really British accent. Mm. And so people sometimes assume I'm British and I have to be like, no, 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 I'm not British. I'm not British. And I'm like, why am I being so defensive about this? I've I've literally lived here over a decade. Mm. And so I feel like, actually, I probably embody and live a lot of my um, identity hugely influenced by by Britain mm. um by England specifically but yeah for, yeah for me it's it's finally the opposite yeah, yeah. but <laughs> but what about you guys you know the the other way around I would say yeah definitely I've had instances where people will be like oh you're not this enough do you know what I mean mm. I think in general like when people tend to ask me where I'm from especially when I'm talking to other Nigerian people but They'll be like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Nigeria. And it's like, no, what, really? Especially anyone who's fully from Nigeria. Yeah. Nigeria. No, yeah. Not really Surprised like people like me. Imagine. Do you know what I mean? Who yeah. are like maybe born in Britain or whatever. But um, yeah, definitely like there's a feeling of you're not actually Nigerian. Do you know oh, what yeah. I mean? Maybe you're from the Caribbean. Maybe you're like from Zimbabwe. I've been given a lot, but people don't usually tend to think I'm Nigerian. Mm. And then... I've been told it's because I don't look Nigerian, whatever that means. I mm. just choose to ignore it. But um, I think also sometimes I'm presented with the, the the idea that the way I act isn't very Nigerian. Yeah, Yet again, whatever yeah. that means, do you know what I mean? Um, but then, oh, I don't know, this is kind of like a slippery soap to go in with me because you know at school people would also be like, oh, you're not, you're not the typical black girl right now. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, yet again other black girls who would be my friend would be like, oh, you're not really... Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that can be that can be quite frustrating. But I think fundamentally it comes from people's perceptions about a certain culture and what you're supposed to be like if you come from a certain culture. And I would say that would be wrong because if you go into Nigeria, you'll find loads of different types of people. There's mm. not, like, one type of person yeah. per se yeah. ever in any culture. I just think sometimes like from here we might associate certain attributes with being like from a certain culture so if you're quite loud you might be like or you have a loud laugh it might be like oh yeah you're like italian or something you speak with your hands you're from italy do you know what i mean yeah, totally. like that sort of thing yeah cultural yeah. stereotypes hmm. i feel for me i think moments where i am confronted with the fact that i am not necessarily uh, British or fully British in the way that some people see it I think it's in moments of like slight racism and slight um, <clears throat> you know or the questions of where are you from because I think sometimes you just move around the world in, in, just in general without thinking about it and then when someone kind of goes like that and snaps you out and you're like oh yeah oh yeah I am I am you know Nigerian or Oh yeah, you're holding your your bag tight, <laughs> you know. Oh, you need to check my bag, or <laughs> like you forget until those moments come and kind of interrupt it, um, and you do kind of go. That's what makes me different from Joe standing next to me. You know what I mean? So I think it's those moments that kind of snaps me out, and not that I walk around thinking I'm white, please. Um, it's more that I don't think about anything until. I'm confronted with it if that makes sense mm. but yeah no I'd also agree with you I think yeah. definitely sometimes when people are like highlighting I wouldn't say like my Nigerianness per se but definitely my blackness mm. do you know what I mean uh, 
then those are the moments where it's just like you become acutely aware mm. that they see you in a different I don't ever feel less mm. like me because of it, yeah. but you're becoming aware that someone sees you differently yeah. just on the basis of what you look like, yeah. what you're presenting to them, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and that's always, always frustrating, but at the same time, one of the things I've learned to do is almost to feel sorry for those people because yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, you're this sheltered in yeah. your life, like technically, that you can't understand that I'm very... I'm not the same as you, but, you mm. know, there's this shouldn't be a thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, another thing I would add is when I'm reaching for the supermarket, like, when I'm mentioning supermarket and people, it's like something that's very Nigerian, <laughs> and let's say someone hasn't tried it their whole life, whilst to me, supermarket is something you've been drinking from, you know, get-go. It's like, whoa, oh, yeah. Like, we, we've obviously had two different upbringings there. I love supermarket. Supermarket's the one Hi, Huck. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Please, can you tell us a little bit about your background? So, my name's Huck, or my artist name is Huck One Curran, which kind of is like two parts of my name. So, I grew up in South London. My parents, my dad grew, was born in Malawi, but he's actually from Punjab on the India side. And my mum is from there as well. And I guess they would be classed as also Sikhs as well. So culturally, I, I would say me personally, I'm Sikh as well. So yeah, that's more my background. So Punjabi and grew up in London. You said you said classed as Sikh. Can so, you explain this turn of phrase? So I think I think when it comes to religion, you either my me personally, either you would say you're committed to it or you more culturally are I don't know associated with it. Yeah, mm. or it, how it impacts you culturally. Mm. So there's a lot of cultural things that have come from the religion that I do personally on a day-to-day basis. But I wouldn't say I'm committed to it, if that makes sense. I see, I see. Um, so you've been working on a photo project. I'd love to hear a bit about it. Can you tell us? So I, I've been lucky enough to go back to where my my mum is from, which is in Punjab, which in India. And before partition, it used to be all part of India. And then in 1947, it got split when Bangladesh and Pakistan was created. And Punjab got split into two, where Muslims went to Pakistan, which was on the west, and Sikhs and Hindus were on the west, on sorry, the east, mm. which was in India. So I've been going there since I was one years old. And I kind of realized that a lot of people growing up or my age have never been so I just wanted to share that experience of what it's like in the rural part because it's very st- stereotypical of what people associate with the culture. It's like a reference point to music, food, clothes, style, the way people speak. So I just wanted to capture what life is like to bring it back and connect that and also give the people there a voice. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, so what sort of things were you specifically trying to capture? Did you go there with... Um, sort of subject matters or day-to-day life events that you particularly wanted to capture while you were there? So I, I I went three times just to shoot. And I think the first time I have a habit of getting quite close to people and I just went, I took maybe too many portraits and I don't think you could actually get a sense of what life is like. And I didn't, I didn't want to go there with a plan because then 
I'll be telling a story that's not true. Mm. So I just wanted to make sure that I involve myself in their life as much as possible, build relationships, build trust, and then cap and show what it actually is happening. So I would just be there as an observer of what's happening, and not to tell a story that I think is is the truth, but just tell the truth as it as I see it. Yeah. So you sort of just let let the events sort of happen around you, day to day life, and then you kind of pointed a camera yeah, at things. Yeah, because there's a perception that people have of what is what life is like there, what's happening. There are like bad things like alcoholism. People are taking drugs, but on a day to day. It's it's a lot more positive than people th- people think here, especially here, because the diaspora always tend to have a different view to what life is actually like. So I think it's fair to be to be honest to what they experience than rather than me put my perceptions onto that. So I think there's a lot more positive that came out of this than negative.、Mm. How long did you How long did you spend there? So last year I went twice,、mm. about a week for each trip,、mm. and then again this year for the final trip. And I think when you know you've you've got everything, you 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 feel that like okay, I'm done. I've got everything I can do. Yeah, but I bet a week doesn't feel like very long when you're there. It is so the village I shot in one village, and everyone knew me by the end of it.、Mm. So I'd print the photos off, give everyone their pictures. They would ask why I'm doing it. So. It was a chance for me to share what life is like here. So it's not a one-way exchange where I just take. It's about giving back as well. So、mm. you share knowledge back and forth. So it's a two-way process because I'm connected. There's a connection, and I think the language was very important. I think if I couldn't speak the language, I wouldn't have been able to do this project.、Mm. Yeah. And how does your visits to your hometown inform your identity? I think, well, I think I think a few things that were quite important is how you're perceived there. So there's a lot of like love. So the, when you speak the language, they're like, "Oh, he's one of us. He hasn't forgotten、yeah. where he's come from." And I think one of the like weirdest things that we don't think about is food. So food is like very big. So I always try to eat the food that my parents eat. So genetically, we've moved. I've moved from somewhere where. Maybe I shouldn't have moved so quickly, and then your body's not used to eating things from a different place. It's something that we don't think about. So I try to eat seasonally what my、mm. parents and my ancestors would eat. So I think that's a weird thing that I didn't think about.、Cool. Yeah, and just I think it's a choice. I have it opens up an option of a way to live my life, and I think I have an extra choice. To maybe people that might not have that experience. Yeah, yeah. Do you mean people who don't necessarily、um, visit where their heritage is from, for example? So I think, obviously, if you're lucky enough to visit, that's great. But I think sometimes it can be seen as a negative, where I think it's a positive. Whereas you have a choice. So the way your family is structured, the way you deal with certain issues, and yeah, so I think a lot of that stuff. Gives you more choice and makes it more rich.、Mm. So I think it's a. I actually think it's a positive that we have to like tell other people that have multiple cultures that you can. Yeah, it's a positive thing. I think that you can choose sort of how you live your life. You mean? 
Yeah, so you're not you're not like okay, you have to do this. So you you get to see that things are a lot more broader and a lot more open because I think this plays into the wider discussion of oh, this is who you are, so this is who you should be. Mm. Whereas if you if you're not if you don't fit that mold, you automatically either you're going to be confused or you're going to question it or you're going to rebel against it. So I think it should be more positive that look, you have this choice. You get to see it's like an education. So it's less narrow in the perspective of how you go about your life. Mm. And how has it, your project been received by people from the, the UK? So I've like I've, I showed my mum. So my mum was just like she didn't really care. She was like, "Oh, who's that? I didn't <laughs> didn't see that person." And then I've shown a few people that have that used to live there. So for them, it was just like, "Okay, this is actually what life is like." This I, and they were like, "I've never seen this." this takes me back and then i've shown a few other people that i've worked with one guy got quite emotional he goes i haven't been back for 3 years so this takes me back to my childhood and me growing up so i think it gave me a sense of knowing that this is actually quite real and i that's what i've worked hardest to do not to take cool pictures because anyone can take cool pictures is to show the nuances within that culture and to show what reality is like so i think the feedback's been very good nice so i wanted to ask you did you have um it sounds like you had a specific audience in mind for this project when you set out to do it is that is that the case yeah so i think with a project like this when it's about a different culture like in the united kingdom people will be interested in it anyway because they have a certain gaze to how they see other people from other countries so that's I'm not concerned about that but for me it was about connecting with people that might not feel like they belong to where their parents are from so it's just to help to bridge that gap and build a connection oh yeah so oh this is why we my parents dress the way they do or my I might do some things that people do over there so it's just to bring that familiarity closer and to bridge a connection and inform them of where they might have come from because they might not visit if you don't speak the language you might not feel comfortable going there so there's a lot of things yeah that people don't understand but that I think that audience would and even if they see pictures of someone cooking a roti they'll be like okay yeah I, this is why we're eating what we do like there's a connection there like a visual connection without someone telling you oh this is why you need to do this blah 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 i think photography is a bit more subtle in that way and more comforting during yeah. during the trips um did you ever have a do you have a moment that kind of particularly stuck with you like a moment while you were there that is kind of lasting in your memory i th- i think if i look at the pictures there's like stories to every every picture i don't think there's one moment but i think one of the most key moments was sharing my experience of life here because mm. they think from what i've noticed looking at tv they think the streets are like paved with gold here mm. so i had to tell them like it's hard like i go home i have to wash my clothes clean my dishes but if you're middle class there no other people do that for you so me i'm put on the level with people that are maybe lower that working class people because we're working class So there the working class people they do stuff for other people so for yeah. them to hear oh yeah they think maybe other people are doing stuff for me so it was yeah. more that exchange of information yeah. was quite important 
Um, I wanted to pick up on the word you used earlier when you described this project um, and the audience. So you mentioned that, you know, people in the UK might have a certain type of gaze and you're not concerned about that. What you want to do is bridge bridge the gap, which I think is really, really interesting because your position as um, a Punjabi British young man going back to the village your parents come from is very, very different from sort of a lot of photo essays that we see of of basically white Western photographers going to take some exotic photos of a certain way of life, which, I mean, that's a separate discussion. But I find your position here very interesting because also, as you say, you speak the language. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that aspect of your project? Yeah, so I, I, I do like, I try to follow a lot of photographers, but I just found it frustrating that everyone just goes there, they take pictures at the River Ganges and things like that, and there's not really any depth into explaining how broad and vast the culture is and how different it is so for me I can't really speak for India and I don't even claim to be Indian that's why I say I'm Punjabi because that's what I know so I think it's important to separate the differences and I don't think that's just stuck to photography I think even broader discussions of how people identify and how people discuss things it's actually good to celebrate the differences because we need to respect or be aware of differences. That's what makes us unique, and even as individuals. So I think it's a way to broaden out individuality and differences between different communities and cultures. I think that's okay. Mm. So interesting. Um, was there anything that you noticed or moments you, you had while you were out there um, that you'd like to share? So I think there's actually quite a few things that I that I noticed. So I think family, family structure, and the and how people see each other. Like they see the the younger generation and the older generation see each other a lot. Whereas here, there's there's a divide, especially with like social media. You kind of tend to to see what your your age group sees or people that think similarly to you. Whereas there, you're forced to see people physically closer to you and there's a support network of looking out for each other and then the other thing is what they eat they eat seasonal fresh food which is prepared every day there's less pollution there's there's more social structures men and women are working together as a way to to progress so there's a lot of positive things there that are happening that people might not think of so for me the whole project when I look back at it was quite positive mm. and I was actually oh, let me go out and see if people are drinking or doing drugs mm. but I don't want to just force that if, if I saw it I took a picture of it but on a whole it's very positive mm. there's a lot of positive things that I thought wow we're kind of missing out we don't have we don't have this. Yeah. They don't have some things like social mobility. If they had more education, they could look after the land a lot longer because everyone wants to move to the cities. But if they can have that life where they yeah. live, it's actually a positive thing. Yeah. So did you ever go there with any, um, I don't know, perceptions that you picked up having grown up in the UK and being exposed to the kind of attitudes or pers um, perspectives that, let's say, people have here? and then took that back with you when you went to do your project? So I, I think my personal experience was that I just wanted to make sure that I could go there and speak to people mm. because otherwise you come become quite isolated. 
and obviously you look different it doesn't matter what you do like your hair your clothes you just look different yeah. that there's nothing you can do to stand out but when you speak the language it makes you a lot closer to the people so i think as a as a young person i think luckily my parents spoke to me so if i have kids i think it would be very important for them to learn the language i wouldn't mm. force anything on them but it just opens up a whole different world yeah yeah that's great would you say that um people would associate sort of gender equality bring in a massive topic here guys um with more like progressive thinking whereas it sounds like what you observe out there which is a very traditional society and and basically you're saying that it was very equal what you saw how people collaborated and and made things happen i think in in i would say i like honestly i think there is like a lot of patriarchy there mm. but in some senses there's a lot of things that they do that are very good and some that aren't so there is like times when men and women are separate but then within like say in the home often the woman would be in charge and that's what it was like um, in my house like my dad was quite chilled out but my mum was like in charge so like there there are roles but women usually i don't know within the home do have a lot more control than people think mm. and i think there's i think the religion comes into it like if you follow the sikhism it's about men and women being equal and treating people with that respect so i think that's that plays quite a key part mm. in the culture as well talking about your experiences of your roots here in the uk how would you say you most strongly have kept like a connection to the sort of culture you saw when you went back there and you photographed everyone so i think for me obviously i've said it again but language was a key part of it food so eating the food so when you go there and they're eating the same food it's like okay this there's there's a continuity continuity and like it just tastes a bit different because of the land and the earth and i think going to the sikh temple the gurdwara was like another thing but i think the relationship they have with the religion is different to the relationship that we have here so for us when it's always there so they can go to the sikh temple but for here it's like oh saturday evening you have to go like it's a lot more something that you have to try to keep in contact with whereas there they don't have to because it's always there mm. so there's certain things you have to try this you have to try and do you have to try and see family there's weddings and i think the other thing is music Mu like especially in punjab like the music's famous like bhangra music i think what the other thing that people don't understand is the religion and the culture is is separate so punjabi culture and the sikh religion are two separate things which even people younger people tend to struggle with because they see it as one thing so for my friends were like oh yeah sikhs have really like good weddings they drink a lot but i'm like sikhs don't drink punjabis drink so there's like you mean young young punjabi british or even people. people outside of that culture so my friends they'll be like yeah sikhs have great parties like they drink loads i'm like sikhs don't drink punjabis drink so even for us there's trying to un like there's a battle between the culture and the religion so mm -hmm. i i feel more comfortable speaking about being punjabi than being sikh because i think there's a lot more to being a sikh and learning about a religion so i try not to speak too much on that but it has informed 
the way I am. I literally was going to ask you about <laughs> your religion as well. <laughs> but yeah, that no, makes sense. So there's like certain, <laughs> yeah. certain things that are like quite valuable. Like it's called seva, yeah. which is like selfless service. So you just help be- for the sake of helping. So that's informed me because that's what my parents have done, even though they're not that religious. Mm. But it's just something that I see that I'm part of with my wider community that we do. We help you help anyone we like in Croydon we help homeless people we cook for them it costs like 30 pounds you can feed 100 people but people have this thing where they see people with turbans and yeah so that's like the positive side that influences the I guess the culture Mm. and that word you said that's a that's a Sikh word that's something to do with like Sikhism yeah so S-E-V-A Seva Mm. which is like helping people without expecting anything back Mm -hmm. um i'd like to open this up for elizabeth and ask rona and tribe respectively of how you relate to your roots because that's sort of the discussion topic here um you know hark is talking about how being able to speak the language and also the food is and the music so yeah rona do you want to tell us a bit about how you relate yeah, so I would say I think definitely to my like Nigerian heritage, family is a very strong way I relate to my culture. Um, like you, Hark, definitely through like the food and the music. Um, but also f- with me personally, I definitely think the fashion like I grew up around, like my mum's wardrobe and like the gele and the abada, those sort of things uh, really stuck out to me when I was growing up and really impacted like my sort of fascination with style just because there's so many colours, so many prints. And I think I definitely like uh, have taken that on board myself in some ways. You definitely are always dressed pretty colourful, which is one of my favourite things about you. Um, but you used two words just there. Can you give us an explanation about those words you just used and what they mean? So like a gala is like uh, a Nigerian headpiece. It kind of, I would describe it almost like a, like a, a rose that comes out of your like your crown. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, and an abada is something that a man wears. It's kind of looks a bit similar to st- uh, what, yeah, yeah exactly it's kind of just like quite a long open dress almost but you'd wear it with trousers and a lot of them are made out of lace like mm. really beautiful lace and they're really nice like open yeah exactly <laughs> they have all the the layers and stuff it's like such a boss look like yeah, really hands is. down like no man can wear one of those and yeah. not look like he is a king have you seen that Skepsa picture where he gets like a honorary chief kind of chief <laughs> yeah. kind of certificate or something like that from his I think he's from his actual own tribe and he's dressed to the nines with the whole outfit he Everything. just looks so boss yeah like when definitely. you said boss that image straight, went straight to my head yeah I, I had a I had a question do you know like with people dressing like this do you think social media has made so especially for the younger generation a bit more acceptable so they it's normalized it for them so i've realized that a lot of like punjabis they're quite happy to like have the mustache and or like seek that to have a turban that is they feel a lot more comfortable than than maybe we would have definitely or our, my my dad came he had to cut he cut he took his turban off and cut his hair because of like skinheads and stuff but i think now it's changed would you say social media has helped that definitely because I feel like 
if you just take Britain as a concept, you know, or no, as a country, because it Love is it. a country. <laughs> but if we're all supposed to be ethnic, open, you know, sort of minorities, to say, like, the power that's always been given to other people is the fact that there's not very many of us. But I think what social media has really done is almost allows us to find ourselves and it doesn't matter about whether you can see someone walking down the street or whether you live like somewhere miles away and you can't see anyone like you because you've got social media and you see, see some beautiful Nigerian princess with all her, you know, her, her concealer to the max, her gele looking fresh, do you know what I mean? Her lace. And she's like... 20 something looks like you and you're like cool I'm gonna do this too mm. do you know what I mean whereas I think before these dress codes were very much associated with our parents and they, the way they were looked when they went to church uh, and that sort of thing I feel like um, the look has lived on through print so we might not necessarily wear the head wraps or the outfits but um, through the, the print we would kind of adapt what we see to what we wear in Western culture, so the trousers or like crop tops or whatever, we or the bags even. So we'll kind of take that and fuse it with what we now recognise as our part of our culture, which is the British culture. That's the way I see it, kind of carrying on. Yeah, our generation. Do you think so? You know, sometimes like like over there, they try to be more Western, but then they might see people here trying to be like how they're trying to get away from so there's like that weird thing happening where mm. people are like why are you trying to dress we're trying to be modern but you're trying to dress so i think there's that's also happening as well now yeah, yeah definitely which is like quite straight like yeah. quite strange to figure out because we're trying to say you know be comfortable you don't have to yeah. wear trousers and a shirt there's a lot more to to expressing yourself and comfort and fashion and style i guess yeah yeah i see it i see that and tribe, what about you? I mean, tell us about how you you connect with your your for people. Me, for my people. <laughs> your people. <laughs> uh, I'm Nigerian as well. I'm Yoruba, and I would say my relationship to uh, my heritage is more. I would say African parties, and in terms of like not just Nigerian but Ghanaian parties as well. So going to these parties, um, I used to go to loads as a kid. Um, with my my family and uh, so even when I go to them now it's kind of it takes me back and it's like just seeing everyone like in the outfits and the Mm. food and all of it I feel like it's it's such an expression of culture at parties especially with Nigerians as well who like to take it up to a hundred you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) exactly Um, uh, for me another thing uh, which is very typical of me is music Um, I think I'm very fortunate to be in it living in an era where uh, Afrobeats Nigerian Afrobeats is being recognised and given more of a platform uh, which it hadn't been when I was growing up Um, so whilst I grew up on Fela and and all I'm trying to think of Chief Ebenezer and people like that um, to kind of see this modern form of um, Afropop kind of be embraced by everyone it it also kind of gives a kind of warmth for me I guess in terms of not only do I appreciate my heritage but other people do as well so that's a, a, a way that I connect by seeing other people appreciate it and seeing the, other people seeing the beauty as well as much as I do and what about you Daniela? I think for me, because um, I'm a writer as well, obviously, the the language is is 
one of the strongest things that connects me to Chinese culture. Um, I, you know, I grew up bilingual and, and from the age of when I could write, I was writing um, short stories and letters in Chinese and I read lots of, you know, Chinese literature. And even now, I think uh, sometimes, you know, I, I have a, you know, I want to say something and then maybe the Chinese word pops into my head because there's no English equivalent. Um, so, so yeah, I think the language is really, really, really key. Um, and I feel incredibly lucky to be able to speak Mandarin and access this um, very, very deep um, culture and history, which is so interwoven in the language that's living today. So I think another, what's important here is when you grow up in like, say, like London or as a working class, you kind of like part of a different culture, like in the end. So you have a language where like this, what you speak on the streets becomes who you are. And I think the same applies when you have a different culture to express yourself. Yeah. So I think that is is like a similar way. To, so if people can understand as well, like when you have that slang, it's kind of like speaking a different language where you can express yourself depending on who's who's around you. Mm. Yeah. So I think that if people wanted to understand what it feels like, that's what it feels like. Mm. Yeah. So what are you doing with this project now and where can people follow you? So there's uh, something that I'm working on whilst the book is not out yet is something I'm capturing a lot of Punjabi Sikhs in the UK. So I'm trying to bring people together using photography because when I was growing up, I didn't see anyone Mm. that looked like me or done anything so people were successful people were like doctors lawyers all these things but when you see entertainment there was no one even now so I thought Mm. okay I'm just going to go out there and capture there's so many cool people that have a similar heritage to me I'm just going to capture them and say look you can be anything you want so I've been doing that all summer and I'm finally like releasing all the pictures and I think it's having a positive impact on the people that I'm capturing because I bought them together off Instagram and I've met people and also people that are seeing it thinking wow okay this this is positive for us we can be anything we want to be we can look how we want to we shouldn't be scared to express ourselves so I think that's that's the project I'm working on but the book will be out soon and Instagram is at h-a-r-k one number one just and then K-A-R-A-N. Yeah, so you can find me there. Nice. Thank you so much, Hark, for being our first guest. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was amazing. Thank you for tuning into Third Waves and stay tuned online at Third Magazine on Instagram. That's Third with three eyes. I'm Tribe. I'm Daniela. And I'm Raina. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.